Welcome to Where Wine Takes You, a podcast that is all about wine, but more than just the fermented grapes and a glass, it's the story of place, the story of people, the stories of Paso Robles wine country. I'm your host, Adam Montiel. So I was interviewing stand-up comedian Angela Johnson Reyes, super funny gal. It was on my morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning. She performed here at the Vino Robles Amphitheater, and on my show, she was asking how to say Paso Robles. Is it Robles? Is it Robles? And it's so weird because in this clip that I'm going to play for you right now from my morning show, you can hear me say Paso Robles, but then right after I say Vino Robles. Now, Vino Robles is the name of the venue, and that's how they want their name to be said properly, so that's how I say it. And I mean, Robles is the proper way to say it, but locals say Robles when they say Paso. And I've always tried to fight it, and even when I'm outside the area, I feel I say Robles when talking about the area, but when I'm here, it just kind of falls off my lips that way. So here's Angela Johnson Reyes on my morning show, and I heard she actually took this conversation we had here and then made it a bit on stage, but here's a piece from the show. You're going to be at the Paso Robles uh, Vino Robles Amphitheater on August 13th. Have you been to Paso before? Is that how you say it? Robles? <laughs> well, here's the thing. You're brown. I'm kind of brown. It's supposed to be Robles. So if you say it Robles, yeah, you're doing fine. it right. I also do a lot of wine. I have a wine show and a wine podcast. And technically it is Paso Robles, but everyone locally says Robles. So it just slips off my tongue that way. How funny. That is strange. I've. I don't, I say Paso Robles, but yeah. I'm, I don't know. I mean, if it's Robles, if I got to come out on no. stage, like, what's up, Paso Robles? No, but I think it's a funny bit because even when you say Robles, like you put that stank on it, it's like so awesome and so like real and the way the word is supposed to be said. So I think you should actually do some sort of little bit on that because everyone else says Robles and it's just, it's just so like, but that's the way locals yeah, say yeah, it. Yeah. That's weird. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to talk about that on stage. Yeah, Paso is people informally just call it Paso too. Mm, okay. And yeah, she did a bit on stage about that. I heard it was really funny. So how do you say it? You say Paso Robles or Paso Robles? We'll have to fight it out another time, I suppose. All right. On today's show, learning the law, baby. Law Estate Wines. It's no doubt one of the popular luxury brands in Paso Robles. Don and Susie Law started the brand a little over 10 years ago, and some of the names associated with getting things kicked off will sound familiar. Remember our two conversations with our friend Scott Holly of Torrin Wine? We talked about this with Scott a bit. He was brought in to not only consult on the wines, but the seller, literally helping them construct molds for their tanks customized for exactly the winery they wanted to put together. So you'll hear lots of references to Scott in here. Also, their winemaker, Philip Funder, we interviewed him about a year ago. I want to say it was episode 30. We titled it Well-Schooled, Well-Surfed, and Well-Traveled. Super smart dude. Really enjoyed our conversations with Philip. Now, while Philip was literally getting ready for harvest, their first crush was the day after we recorded this, this week. We did sit down with the man behind it all, Don Law, as well as Levi Glenn, their vineyard manager. Now, Lost State Wines is beautiful, has some real Frank Lloyd Wright vibes that I definitely get. We actually set up in this beautiful library situated in their barrel room, surrounded by wines on three sides and a glass wall that looks out to the barrels. Georgie is with me. We got a glass of white poured, they're only white, and we are 
ready to go. So give me that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. Welcome. Law Estate Wines, baby. This is it with Don Law. How cool is that? We'll find out. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me on such a special, really a special day. I mean, this is the day before you start picking in Harvest 22. That's right. Yeah. Marson tomorrow morning. Yeah. 6 a.m. Levi, you live on property? I do, actually. Um, yeah, I get uh, the privilege to live on the property and be about a, a few hundred yards away from that Marsan block. So, You know, I did a Cork Dorks show here, gosh, I want to say maybe eight years ago or so. Like it was in the beginning of mm-hmm. Law with Scott Holly at the time. And it's remarkable, Don, how you decided so deliberately to set things up from whether it was, uh, you know, a crush pad that doesn't see the sunlight or, you know, any of these things that are just so forward thinking, the molds for your own tanks. How did you kind of piece that together and go, yeah, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this my way, the right way? Well, uh, to start with, in the vineyard, we deliberately went slow in plantings. We planted 34 acres in 2008, and we've added a few acres most years since then and it was just this past spring that we are completely planted out now at 86 acres and that whole program was just to be sure that we were planting the right varieties in the right spots and matched it to the demand of the various wines that we're making. Why Paso for you? I always love talking to folks uh, you know like you who really have the the resources and the ability to put something wherever you feel it's met best for you know for your situation your business uh, why was it passo for you guys okay so we are from colorado and set out to do a wine project and you know it was going to be california without a question we steered clear of the napa area uh, because in my view and for what i wanted to do it's just so singular in just making Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah. And we wanted to do blends. We wanted to work with a bunch of different varieties. It's just because then you got a whole spice rack that you can work with. So we kind of focused uh, between Monterey to Santa Barbara. And that was in 2006 that we started looking. And it, it was pretty much uh, no-brainer when uh, uh, focusing on Paso. It was really starting to happen at that point in time. Gosh, when you see what it's turned into just in the last, like, you could say 15 years, you could say 10, you could say 5. I mean, the way it's growing, it's incredible. Yeah, and uh, we were lucky we got here at a point in time where where there were some significant parcels of land on the west side available, and so we were lucky. It was west side for you, huh? Yeah, yeah, we were we were definitely focused on that. Were you the, looking at like topography? Were you looking at like diurnal shift? Were you looking at climate? Were you looking at soil? Soils. I feel like when you're here, you have it's had it has to be somewhat soil. Yeah, we uh, you know you always hear calcareous soils over here on the west side, but when we put this property under contract, uh, one of the contingencies was that we could test the soils to make sure that we were happy with its vineyard potential. And over a large swath of this 
land, we actually had limestone. It wasn't just calcareous. It wasn't just marl or chalk. It was actually limestone, which was, you know, terrific. Because you're talking about some of the same soils, you know, that make some of these wines that we love from the old world great. Right, which is rather uncommon in California. Yeah. Levi, when do you step into the picture? Uh, What's your history? Where has wine taken you, my man? Well, I grew up in uh, Healdsburg in Sonoma County, um, in the Dry Creek Valley, actually. And so I've kind of been in the wine industry since a pretty young age. First vineyard I worked in, I was 13, and basically been working in vineyards ever since, and wineries as well. Um, Went to Cal Poly, uh, got my degree in fruit science, so that was just before the viticulture enology program was fully established, and um, then went back and worked in Napa and Sonoma for a while, and then eventually was called up by uh, Neil Collins at, at Tablas Creek, and came down and worked for him for five, six years, and then Oliver Sparham, our general manager, one day called me and said, come work for us at law, so um, I was happy to come over and, and, and try my hand over here. You know, it's so interesting when you talk about some of like the you know, the vineyards that you mentioned and some of the special places in Paso wine country. And, you know, this place you've developed certainly into a special place. I mean, 360 degrees, right? Uh, what, what are some really exciting aspects of this property, the topography and what the grapes? You sure. Know? Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at the different aspects of this property, obviously the soil is super important. Um, you know, the climate is important, the aspects are important, the slope, the topography of the land, all these things combine into making that specific singular wine. So I can't say there's one thing that's more important than the other, but all of them are extreme. L- literally, the soil is extreme. Uh, the, the water holding capacity, hardly any. Um, the topsoil is 12 inches at the most in, in most places. The slope is 20 to 40 percent slope for the most part and across all of our blocks it's warm it's it's a warm place but not only at daytime um which we're usually a little bit cooler than like downtown paso or the paso airport where the the main paso weather station is we're usually a couple degrees cooler than that during the day but at nighttime we're actually warmer because of our elevation so elevation is another extreme part of our, our of our property you know, the top of our vineyard just above Don and Susie's house is close to 2,000 feet. We're wow. at like 1,920 feet. Yeah. So it's not the highest vineyard in Paso, but it's pretty darn close. It's up there. Oh, and, yeah. then, and then it leaves the uh, grapes saying not it's susceptible to things like frost and stuff like that. Definitely. Yeah. We're, we're kind of a f- knock on wood frost-free zone. Yeah. Um, we, even in 11, uh, when everyone got frosted, we didn't really experience any frost. So that's one great part about this property but it also you know it 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 definitely brings its challenges the vines are not super happy (laughs) um they don't want to be you know very vigorous so we have to really work at making the vines grow enough to be able to hold the fruit that we want to carry so our yields are low um you know, we're very meticulous in the vineyard as far as how many passes we make, how many things we do by hand out there. I mean, with that topography, that steep slopes, you know, you know, obviously we pick by hand. Um, all of our tractors are crawlers and there's no way we could drive a wheel tractor up those hills. But all of these things create this, this wine that is very ripe, but also very balanced. And the calcareous soils allow us to keep the acidity in the grapes at harvest time, where we may have high bricks, but our pHs are quite low, um, which provides us these wines that are opulent, 
but balanced and fresh at the same time. Don, you really play the long game in, in some senses where, and I'm really curious, like the, you know, the thoughtfulness that went into like, hey, well, we're going to do this. I want this to be a luxury brand. I want this to be a brand that like is going to be, you know, you're going to really take notice at what we're putting out here. Right. And that really starts in the tasting room. We were early to go. Well, we started off when we opened in 2013 as appointment only. We've always done flight tastings um, versus just, you know, belly up to the bar and with a singular glass. So uh, the tasting room is really where it starts if you want to start teaching somebody about our project. And you're right. You're seeing a lot of some of the high-end places, you know, follow that lead. And whether it's be flight tasting or, you know, now out of COVID, a lot of us have kind of come to an appointment-only situation. Right. And that's, you know, that was something that you guys were on early. And, and the slow growth aspect is something really interesting, too, because if it felt like in some of those first years, um, when you guys were really starting to make your mark, your wines would quickly sell out. And there were times where you would... Um, you wouldn't have wine. You'd be sold out. You're like, hey, we're going to have to, I mean, tasting room's not going to be, uh, you know, a thing for, for a, l- a little bit until we get more wine. There was no rush to get it to market. Right. And we've been fortunate. We've sold out every year. Um, an- another thing I would bring up, and Levi can uh, hop in on this, but everything we do in the vineyard is organic, We and we handpick, and we hand sort, and uh, native ferments. So I think that also lends itself to... Uh, high-end brand. We started um, farming organically when I came on board in 2016. We finally got our certification in 2019, the winter of 2019-2020, but been farming organically since since 16. As Don said, we you know we don't inoculate anything. Um, you know, even our you know our wines, we're not adding um, nutrients. We're not adding things to the wine. We're really letting these things, kind of, the winemaker shepherd those wines through to the end to try and showcase some of our terroir, but also, you know, our winemaking style as well. You know, they're not lean wines. They're, they're wines that are, that are robust. And, and they're they opulent. Have, they're opulent, and they have some new oak on them, but they never get cloying. They right, never right. get sappy and just, sure. just hard to drink. So that's what I really appreciate is finding that, that balance. You know, when you, I kind of want to talk about the history because we first, uh, we started with Scott Holly, you know, of Torin, great, you know, obviously great local farmer, great in the industry, well-known, respected. What were some of those decisions in the beginning, Don, where you're like, okay, Scott Holly, he's our dude. Not only are we going to, he's going to make the wines first in the beginning, but, you know, we're going to look to him and maybe make some mold, make some tanks, really lead the way in the industry. Oh, Scott was invaluable. We looked around, talked to several consulting winemakers which is what we needed when you just buy the ground we had no grapes but scott was invaluable because he helped direct us towards the kind of right the uh, percentage of each variety that we might want in a wine um and he along with john crossland who we used early for viticultural services you know advised on what grapes on which slopes, etc. And then when we finally had grapes that we were harvesting, it was just a no-brainer that Scott would make those wines. So he made the first wines from the 2010 vintage, which we released in 13, and he was here through the 18 vintage. And he is the guy that uh, was largely responsible for our process here at the winery. 
you know, and, and making sure if electricity went out in the, right in the middle of pick that we would have enough natural light. We didn't rely on electricity for lighting, and we didn't rely on it for anything else in the wow. process. So just he, he was really important there also. What, what is it like to be, I mean, you're the leader of this team. You know, you and Susie are kind of like, okay, this is our, this is the brand. This is what the team we want to put together, the wines we hope to put together. But then really, you must be learning a lot from Scott. You're probably taking, I mean, what he's saying is, is very valuable to you because you've never, I'm assuming, never done this before on this level. And what he's teaching you is invaluable. That's why I'm doing it is to learn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I learn from <laughs> Levi every day. Right. So. Well, you were so excited when I mentioned I wanted to get Levi in here too, that you were really stoked on that. I thought that was really neat. Yeah. And so uh, it's a journey and I'm uh, having a heck of a time. This is uh, the funnest project I've ever done. And it's great to have talented people. And going back to Scott, he had, you know, from day one, he said, well, I, I'm, I'm starting my own brand, Torin. So eventually, yeah, I'm going to be exiting. So that day came, uh, but he gave us a, I guess it was a two-year notice. And so that's when we went out and got Philip, and Philip was here. And, of course, we got Pete. So we got a great team over there, and yeah. when Scott eventually left, it was just kind of seamless. When you have Scott on your on your team, on your side, I don't know if he's helping you find people or whatever, but uh, I'm sure the bar is set very high. So you find and settle on someone like, I don't mean settle about it, but you, you narrow down and you finally make your decision. It's going to be Philip. He obviously must have had to really cut it to be that final choice of yours. Yeah, well, he has a pretty incredible uh, impressive resume. Yeah. resume and really smart smart guy i mean he's just i mean not only i don't know i just found him when i interviewed him for the uh, podcast me about a year or so ago just not only like book and academic smart but street smart he just encapsulates so many different types of, of wisdom in his personality but it was a really neat it was a really neat interview and i hope people go check it out well right now we got to put up with him as far as <laughs> Trying to get his Master of Wine certification. Right. And so we, we hear about all the wines he tastes. And just hope that no like good surf comes during harvest. You're like, right. hey, where, where'd Philip go? Philip's not here yet. But you can't forget Pete. He's just yeah. terrific as our assistant winemaker. Uh-huh. I remember Scott telling me things like, you have some molds back there on some tanks that you actually like patented, and uh, other people have the ability to, to, to replicate them and use them. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really leading the way in the industry. Mold in the good sense. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yes, yes, right. Mold. Like mold ma- moldy tanks. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, like, I hadn't heard about that. But. Literally making molds yeah. of tanks that other people are going to use those molds to shape their tanks like yours. Yeah, so, well, Scott was designing these with Sonoma Cast Stone. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was like, okay, we got to have a certain uh, angle in on the profile of the tanks because that's going to promote a certain natural circulation uh-huh. during fermentation, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, so we had these specially made. And Sonoma Cast Stone has sold these to a number of different wineries. And yeah, we get a, get a little cut. A, a royalty. So not, you should. Not yes. really pay anybody's salary. But. <laughs> well, yeah, but still, it's almost like, you know, like you wrote kind of a song that got, you know, replayed in a couple commercials later on. It's like, all right, we'll take it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love it. Is it, um, what are the blending trials like? Obviously, everyone's familiar here. They're on board with the mission. They know the style of the wines that we're making here. I'm sure you have to have a voice in the blending, but do you want to have a, a really big voice or is it just like, hey, it tastes good. I'm good with it. Or what are those like? Well, it's a team effort. And I'll let uh, Levi jump in here in a second. But uh, I thought it was really interesting. The first several vintages that we did when we didn't have any set skews, you know, like 
what wines are we going to make? Yeah. And those blending trials were interesting in just coming up with those initial blends. And once we've come out with, you know, whatever beguiling, it's pretty much stayed the same through mm-hmm. the years. Uh, percentages vary a little bit. Right now we've got, what, eight different red varieties. Uh, Grenache, Raw, Merved, Cabernet, uh, Petit Verdot. Tempranillo, Carignan, and Graziano. So, anyway, Levi, if you have any, uh, yeah, Levi's involved in the blending also. Yeah, the blending is always fun. Like Don said, now we have more of a roadmap to be able to say, like, this is what we've made in the past. This is what our consumer has enjoyed. We want to keep that style kind of the same, at least, you know, letting the vintage show itself, but also, you know, letting the customer know, like, Beguiling is going to taste really good every year the vintage may skew the the varietal mix one way or the other a little bit but it's not going to be extreme um and we we have a lot of different blends you know we have our black label wines which are uh, kind of a reserve level um that are single variety but all of three of those yeah so we have intrepid which is syrah prima which is mulved and um Nines? Nines, yeah, Grenache. Oh, that that one, right? Uh, which we'll actually get to taste here in a few minutes. So, But the white label wines are all blends. And that's where the real fun is for the winemaker and for myself. They allow me in the room to, to help with that. You know, we sit down, we taste through every single lot, every single barrel. We have that kind of roadmap to work with, but certain vintages, you know, the Boots Barrel tastes better with the with the beguiling, and you know, this lot maybe was a little more whole cluster, so maybe that works its way into Sagacious a little bit more. All those decisions are just made purely by tasting and smelling, and doing that for day after day after day, which sounds like it's a you know great enjoyable thing after a while it's it's hard to taste that much wine Um, so yeah exactly (laughs) but but no what we what we try to do is get there early taste wine in the morning and try and blend knock out a couple blends and then come back fresh the next day because your palate does get fatigued after a while and especially some of these larger reds you know it can it can kind of dumb down well yeah you can't afford that fatigue to no yeah and and so so we usually try and do you know two or three blends a day move on to the next day and do a couple more and just knock it out but we usually spend about a week blending our reds for um for for each vintage you're doing the lord's work levi yeah uh, well, 20, and he does it at 7.45 a.m. I know, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, the tw- spitting, we still get a little, yeah, a little, I imagine, a little sure. contact high. Yeah, for sure. The 20 soft is the first one in the glass. I am... And that's Soph, by the way. Oh, Soph, I'm so sorry. Named after our granddaughter, Oh, Sophia. cool, my apologies. Sophia, how old's your granddaughter? 10. Oh, are you keeping a, a couple cases of maybe that first one for when she turns 21? Uh, yeah, when she turns 21. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, wink. Um, I love Roussan. I'll do a backhand spring for Roussan. It is so fun. Uh, we, uh, that's the majority, almost half Roussan in this uh, Soph. Uh, 26% Marsan, a quarter uh, Claret Blanche. Is this the only, the only white you do? Is a beautiful white wine. Yes, it is. Um, we have three different blocks, those three grapes. And they all go into the soap, and that is our white. Yeah, I like that. I like it, and you're seeing a lot of um, some of these luxury brands where you know they they're so known for their reds, but they have one expression of white, and it just 
drops your jaw. Like, I love white wines. So I feel like a place like this, a house like this, where I'm going to taste a lot of high-end reds, when you when you say, hey, I got one white, my ears go up. I'm really listening and want to get the most out of it. This really is a beautiful wine. Talk about this one. Break this one down, Levi. Yeah, so, I mean, we spend a lot of time on every wine, but I think we get excited about the soap because it is the one white wine, and it's like our one op, um, opportunity to kind of play with these grapes. You know, Roussan tends to ripen really unevenly, so we pick this in multiple... Is it like Zin? Is it almost like that that bad? Uh, yeah. Um, wow. In a different way. Zin can get, like, you know, raisiny and also green, where a Roussan tends to, like, stay green, but also on the morning, or on the more exposed fruit, gets real golden, so sometimes you'll pick, like, different sides of the vine. Sometimes you'll pick, you know, just according to the color of the fruit. Sometimes you'll pick by on the top of the hill and then leave the lower part for later. So so we typically pick a small block, which is only an acre and a half, three times or four times. So we're taking a lot of attention to do a very small small amount. And then the Marsan um, is one block. It's a super solid producer. Um, We tend to have to crop it um, pretty low. It wants to produce a lot. But it provides this kind of like lemon curd and um, and kind of mouthfeel. The the Roussan is is really the 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 driver of the wine because it's it's weighty. Um, it has that kind of that almost oily texture at times. Yeah. Um, and then the Claret Blanche brings this like blast of freshness into the wine where it's minerally and fresh and and taunt. You know. Um, and actually, this year um, we just uh, planted a block. Um, it's only a quarter of an acre of Grenache Blanc to actually add a little more freshness to this wine. So we've really loved this wine. We just want to, we've actually blocked the ML on this wine. So trying to keep more acid in it because it is an opulent white. We need the freshness to be there too, to, 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 to couple with it, to make it the, the best that we can. So we're actually increasing probably the acidity a little bit um, by bringing that Grenache Blanc in. When you have a, a white like this, a blend like this that has such tremendous mouthfeel, do we attribute that to say like the weight of something like Roussan and that is typically known to offer? Or, I mean, are you performing some things on this wine like botanage? Are we stirring up that leaves for mouthfeel? No, like no. Um, I mean, obviously the oak, um, this sees about 35, 40% new oak. So it's not an extreme amount, but for a white wine, it's a, it's a decent shot of oak. Roussan is really just, it's such an opulent, like mid palate weight wine that just, just sits on your, on your mid palate. And just, we don't want any more than 50% of this being Roussan because it, it would just be too much. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's why we're kind of bringing that speak that. for yourself i don't know <laughs> i love yeah. your son <laughs> yeah so yeah but we That's love so it cool. yeah what a beautiful wine this is the uh, sof 20 interesting vintage i want to go to a vintage that it feels like everybody agrees was just kick ass and that was 2019 oh yeah this next wine the beguiling this is definitely one of your blends that you're uh, known for i'm curious what you consider your flagship blend but let's just first talk about the 19 uh, vintage it was just like you know handed over like boom. yeah it was let's a, go. it was one of those vintages that just just there didn't seem to be anything that went wrong. Um, You know, we got a fair amount of rain during the winter between 18 and 19. You know, we didn't have a ton of shatter. So that's what we get sometimes in our Grenache. And we have a lot of Grenache and that's what we experienced this vintage. Is that because of the wind? Yeah, from the wind. It was a pretty windy spring. I think that's what what caused that. Um, Didn't have a lot of that. It was a fairly moderate growing season for the most part um, without a ton of heat spikes and allowed us to pick 
and and let the fruit hang and pick exactly when we want to pick. So with our site being extreme and warm, there are times at harvest, uh, you know, late August, early September, if we get a heat spell of, you know, 100 degrees for five days, that takes everything from kind of ripe to potentially overripe. So we're just trying to pick as fast as we can. Well, in vintages like 19, where we're allowed to just let things sit out there and just pick exactly the day we want to, the difference is unbelievable. What about some of those interesting harvests like, and correct me if I'm wrong because you'll certainly know better than me, like 17 or ones where we have these heat spikes Mm -hmm. where a lot of people will just go like, they'll panic and they'll pick. But some who maybe waited a little bit, they see those bricks kind of come down and maybe it's like, whew, okay. Well, 17 was, was definitely extreme in that where we had like 10 or 12 days over 100 right. in September when the grapes were almost ready. Our site's pretty early. Like, we're picking fruit tomorrow, uh, and it's in the middle of August. So, you know, that that heat spell really did put us into the point where we needed to pick everything, especially Syrah, can really start shriveling on the vine real fast. So, in 17, we were forced to, to pick quickly. But I think the saving grace in the 17 wines is the, there was a decent amount of crop on the vine, so you know, it, it didn't dehydrate everything and, and we still made really nice wines and they were actually a little fresher and more vibrant than some other vintages. And you think like you have that heat spell and everything's going to be raisiny and, and overripe actually was kind of the opposite. So, um, 19 is just a great, it was just a great vintage all around. I mean, I told the winemaker, if we can't make good wine in this vintage, then we should just all quit and do something yeah. else. <laughs> it reminds me of like 07. Right? Gary Everly says, yeah. if you didn't make good wine in 07, yeah. you belong in a gas station. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 19. What a beautiful year. So the beguiling is obviously a uh, Grenache Syrah blend. And for the most part, it's just those two every year, right? Yeah. It's always, um, uh, you know, varying degrees, 85, 15, in this case, 88, 12. And it's kind of the um, complete opposite of the wine will taste last, the Aspire, where it's flip-flopped, where it's 85 Gern- or Syrah and 15 Gernot. I'm sorry, yin and yang. Yeah, Levi, who does the, uh, the vineyards here. We also have Don Law. I'm curious. I know you're a vineyard dude, but when it comes to harvest, mm-hmm. um, what, are, what are some of like the, you know, the ceremonial things that the team will get involved in? Are we eating lunch together? Is there certain oh, music that the Crush food, Pat's blaring? Food is, is a focus, for sure. Um, we kind of go around around the team and everyone gets to decide what you know what's for lunch that day i usually work in the middle of the night picking the grapes right. and delivering to the winery oftentimes i'll have delivered all the fruit by the time the production team shows up at the winery so my day is pretty much over at that point That's so great. i have uh the ability to run into town and grab whatever so you know we're Whatever that day may be, you know, Finca. Um, finca. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's always a good one. Um, Did you try their breakfast burritos? I tried those. I haven't. I, uh, I keep seeing good. them on Instagram, but I haven't Incredible. gotten down there. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes it's just like, you know, Chipotle or something. Just, just something just something uh-huh. that's easy to consume and quick and, and tasty. Um, actually, Jeff Scott this year is going to be doing harvest lunches um, nice. on the west side at his new farm stand highway 46 spot mm-hmm. so we're going to be doing that a couple of days a week um oh good be doing a lot of um catering for people for for harvest so then what time will you go to bed it almost sounds like you have hours so like, my like- hours are weird um typically i'll go to sleep around eight o'clock wake up around two um pick all the grapes be done around eight and then you know provide lunch for the guys go home try and get a nap for an hour or two 
and then wake up so I have time to actually feel like I can be part of my family and, and have dinner and, and see the kids, my wife, and then go back to sleep at eight o'clock. And so, then this is, yeah. I mean, you're probably going to sleep earlier than your kids. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Is that yeah. weird? How old are your kids? Uh, two and four. Oh yeah. gosh. Yeah. So daddy's going yeah. meanies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so why is daddy not here? I know. It's well, I mean, it's like not even dark, you know, it's something you're yeah, it, it's hard. It's, it, and I have to get like a little nap in, in the middle of the day to make yeah. it all work. Cause if yeah. not, then I'm just strung out. And then how long does it take you to get back to a normal circadian rhythm for you? Because you, you certainly don't have to maintain that all year. No, it's, you know, it, it's, five weeks, six weeks, you know, the, the worst is like, if we're picking every day, I can get a routine going. Right. But if we pick two days in one week and then don't pick the rest of the week and I get back into my normal rhythm and then it's hard to get back into that. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not too hard to get back into the the normal. One of the best times for a vineyard folks to take vacays. Um, well, it used to be August. Right, yeah. <laughs> and nowadays, it's more like you should have done that in July. Yeah. yeah. What are you yeah. noticing as far as just the way, uh, and, and not from like a, the way we read headlines and like an apocalyptic kind of standpoint, but, you know, there are noticeable changes that folks like you are noticing with climate change. Yeah. Uh, what are some of those things on just like the tangible level? Like, oh, damn, we're doing that earlier. Or are there things like that? Definitely. I mean, this year we saw, you know, I told Don and Susie, a few months ago, like the vines are already starting to show some, you know, stress six weeks earlier than they probably would in a normal vintage. Um, you know, we want to see a little bit of stress in the vine as we lead up to harvest. We don't want that stress to happen in June. Um, we want these canopies healthy enough to be able to ripen the fruit and, and get the full expression of the vineyard. Um, and if that's happening that much earlier, due to drought, due to multiple years of drought now. Um, you know, we got a lot of rain in 19, but 20 and 21, not so much. So if we have one more drought year, it's going to be interesting. It's not, it's definitely not going to be a good thing for us. Right. Yeah. What were some kind of things that you, you know, in your leadership skills took from you, the, the businesses that brought you here, things that you noticed work well, and maybe things like, oh, shoot, like this is not that. Like, you know, I, I'm really seeing leading in this way, you know, maybe, maybe there's some pivots you make. I don't know. I think the most important thing is get the right people. Yeah. Get people that uh, you trust the decisions they're making um, and people that are creative. That's number one. Number two, um, I believe that uh, you know if you do things right and do them first class, that it's going to pay off rather than trying to cut corners. Yeah. And we've seen that. I mean, I don't, I'm kind of curious, like, if your wine is, is all direct-to-consumer, if there's certain avenues where, you know, you try and uh, get people to see the wine, whether it's on restaurant wine list. But, I mean, I have good friends from L.A. that have been, you know, big fans of you guys for, for many, many years and, you know, bought your wine. I'm sure if I said their names, you'd probably know them exactly, you know. So, like, big, big fans. And I know you have a lot of those that span all over the country. But, yeah, I'd say 5% of our wine goes to distribution, and that's it. Mm-hmm. The rest of it's a direct-to-consumer. Yeah. How do you find markets you want to get into? We certainly are still growing our case production. Yeah. Um, like we mentioned earlier, we just finished planting our last six acres this spring. So yeah. that's going to be three or four years out right. before we have anything there. So, yeah, we're still looking at expanding and you know we we we've targeted certain markets certain states 
are there ones that maybe you, you live in or ones that you have friends in? Or how, do, how do you figure out wh- who's going to get those bullseyes? I go, we're going we're gonna to work on this. Or maybe markets you've heard are just really into Paso now. I don't know. Or uh, the Terrific markets for us. I don't like this. I think a lot of people probably have found the same thing. Or California. It's yeah. the big Goliath. Um, but Texas, Florida, those are great markets. Mm-hmm. And then for us, Colorado, that's probably just because we have roots there. Yeah. That's cool. It's probably great to like go into a nice restaurant and you know to that's see. Fun. Yeah. yeah, I bet it's got to be really, really cool for you. Do you ever order one of your bottles just off just to just cause? Yeah, just cause. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool. Do you like to hang out during harvest at all? Oh see yeah. See all the chaos and see what goes down. Yeah, crack the whip. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> now you're in town, I think, for another day or so. Are you going to be doing some harvest activities, hanging out, watch, checking in, or oh yeah, or just leave them to it? And yeah, this, the farming side is my favorite. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Is it, you always ask him Levi questions like, hey, where are we at with this? Or I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we usually Hopefully do a, um, a cruise around the vineyard every time they're here. So we get to spend some, some hours out in the vineyard and show them everything that's going on and keep them abreast of the, the progress. And Yeah, we're here yeah. a week every month, every calendar month of the year. And in, since 2007, we've missed one month. And that month was April of 2020 oh, when gosh, everything right. was shut down. <laughs> yeah. What was that like for you guys? I mean, I know a lot of wineries, I'm sure a winery is popular and is, you know, the luxury brands, I'm sure people were, I mean, people look, people were drinking, right? We know that. Probably did pretty okay during the pandemic. We thought it was going to be a disaster when yeah. out of nowhere, everything shut down right. and then the governor... Here uh, shuts everything down, uh, restaurants and tasting rooms. Yeah, and left his winery open. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and went to French, French laundry. laundry, right? But um, it was it was kind of scary there. You know, the first week, two weeks, and then this avenue of people drinking at home started coming through, and the online sales went through the roof. Yeah. And 2020 was actually a better year than 2019. And that's something. How did the uh, the grapes compare? I mean, there was a weird year in 20 in 2020. Uh yeah, 2020 was was tough. I mean, tough all around, but um yeah, you know, there was a lot of smoke in the area and you know, we had a few lots that we couldn't, you know, turn into $100 bottles and 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 yeah. and understand that that wine is going to be as good as every other vintage that w- that we had. So, you know, there are things that we had to hold back. And unfortunately, you know, that's going to, um, you know, cause our case production to go down for that vintage. But um, specifically, know, that's, that's nice. and I believe I can give us the PhD <laughs> level knowledge on this, but <laughs> certain grapes are affected more by smoke taint than others. And Mervet is one that's typically more susceptible to it so we chose uh not to use merved at all in our 2020 vintage the same goes with uh petit verdot so i don't yeah. know so if the, you have an opinion yeah on that, so the, the the blends are going to be you know some of these blends you know are consistent with the same varieties every single year you know, yeah you take Mervet out of the picture what is a gsm you know it's a it's a gs <laughs> right and um it's going to taste different so um we're still making great wines and and they're going to be you know the best expression of our estate but um you know we can't rightfully you know put wines out that we don't feel are up to snuff um to our customers because you know they've 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 kept us going all these years and you know we don't want to let them down so i like the audacious blend one we're talking grenache lead even some cab in there 
and then one that we're seeing a lot more people play with that's Carignan. What it, uh, what's expression you find up here, and why it finds you know a good amount, a quarter of this wine. Yeah, well, I mean, in in the pre-rat, um, Carignan and and Grenache are kind of the two. You know, uh, oldest varieties grown in that region, almost all, you know, head trained, dry farmed. Carignan here, you know, Carignan's got a bad rap, you know, through the years. Um, it was often, it was, it was planted as a producing vineyard. So, you know, it was about tonnage and it wasn't about quality. Um, many people said that Carignan has to be super old to make really great wines. Well, we have a vineyard that's, you know, 12 years old and is producing some of the best fruit that we that we grow yeah. is carrying on and and it's not even a, a i mean i've been joking with don for years about you know we need to make a black label carrying on because Ooh. it's that because it's that good i'm into yeah. that yeah so and we just planted another what do you think don yeah. <laughs> you laughed it off uh, yeah I, the reason i'm smiling is because uh we, yeah we know keep, a we lot keep, of people out there were thinking what 100 percent carignan uh i think it might be a marketing challenge well there's some i just but i mean isn't a name like yours you put out a black label carignan people are going to gobble that up yeah we just planted another almost two acres of carignan so we'll, we'll be up to four acres and we'll definitely have more to include in the audacious and that will probably increase the percentage in that blend to make it even more priorat like yeah it's typically priorat is Grenache, Carignan, maybe a little bit of Cab, maybe a little bit of Syrah, maybe a little Merlot. But those are like the international varieties that were added in later. And the core of those wines typically are Grenache and Carignan. I think almost like brands like yours would have almost a more charmed journey in putting that out there and have better reception because people are just going to trust that this must have been just a kick-ass vintage and if this is the expression they wanted to do with we're going to do it and you might even be blazing the trail and leading people getting to understand and wrap their heads around carrying on even more it could be cool and yeah. i would say i'm trying to help you out Levi. i don't know <laughs> And I will say, I think there's a ton of benefit for being progressive-minded yeah. and, and blazing the trail. Yeah, it's very passive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and there's actually one other 19 black label that, that we haven't um, released yet, but it's a, it's a Cabernet, um, which we've never made 100% Cabernet before. We're so. seeing some of, these, uh, some of these luxury brands that have been, you know, doing their thing in their own space now coming out with like just a big expression of a Bordeaux. It's really cool. And Epic's doing that now. You guys are doing that now. That's really exciting. Yeah. It, I mean, it almost wasn't intentional. It's just we tasted that 19 vintage and it was just, you taste in barrels and you're like, we can't just blend this away into some other wine. It's a we crime. Have to, right. We have to showcase this somehow. And, you know, we only did what, 125 cases, something like that. 100. 100 cases. So, you know, it's very limited production, but, you know, we tasted against the Napa big boys. And to be honest, I liked it better than most of them. That's so, so cool. Yeah. That's so cool yeah. to hear when it comes to tasting law, how do people taste law estate wines? Yeah. I mean, uh, we're all completely by appointment. Um, you can reach out to the winery, um, you know, our phone numbers, you know, listed on our website, lawstatewines.com. And it's basically like a restaurant. You know, we have a seating windows and, you know, our tastings usually take about an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes, depending. And it's all seated and it's very casual, but intentional. You know, it's, it's not stuffy, but it's, but it's meaningful because we're focusing on the wines and we're not, you know, we're talking about the history of the brand. We're talking about the vineyard. We're talking about the wine specifically, but you know, but it's also not a, it's not a, 
exclusive thing. Anyone can come and it's a, and it's a great experience. And, and obviously the architecture and the tasting room experience is, is, is hard to beat in this area. And I mean, we put it against pretty much anywhere. And I would say the number one rule around here in, in Paso in general is no snobbiness. Right. Friendliness is number one. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about the architecture because it is super unique here. And I know that when you were, I read that when you were having the ideas to design what you envisioned, Don, it was a being modern, but being minimal, right? I mean, like just doing things in a modern way. But when you look at your footprint into the earth, it's just, it's very minimal. And it, and it just, it just blends into mother earth when you see it from afar. Well, thanks. And yeah, we were uh, determined to do something architecturally that's different than what was here at the time we were building. And that was to build uh, a modernist kind of structure. Uh, I think we got that done. And and it's comfortable. And and the other thing is it's a terrific place to make wine. You can get your elbows out and plenty of room to move around. Yeah. Were there like big wish lists in the beginning as we were putting things together? Maybe Scott was saying, hey, I need, I need this. I need a, a crush pad that never sees, you know, sunlight. It's, it's covered just perfectly where it's open and exposed, but it won't see the sun at this type. Yeah, of- we did uh, sunshade studies on that. That's so cool. We were in the design phase. Do you work this way a lot, just methodically? You know, like it doesn't need to be, we don't need to rush this. We're going to get there, but we're going to get there the right way. Well, yeah, I think that that goes without saying around here. Yeah. Talk about the room that we're in right now. This is uh, the owner's wine library, and it's where we keep our certain amount of vintage wines in here. Uh, Each column of diamond bins here is a different vintage. I will have to say that uh, when we first opened the winery and we had one vintage, it was somewhat embarrassing <laughs> that only one of these columns had any bottles in it. But now they're all full, um, and it's a, it's a, just a really nice place to sit, you know, with an a entire glass wall looking out into our resting barrel room, and it's special. What are your, some, some of your favorite places to just be and exist in here? Maybe it's uh, as all the lights are going out, you're by yourself, you're leaving. Are there other pieces of this property, uh, besides your home, of course, but are there pieces of this winery where you were just like, wow, this is, this is really you, it almost stops you? Uh, the patio when the sun's going down. Like yeah. It, it, the hills of West Paso are just knockout beautiful. That's no question a great place to be and yeah. have a glass of wine. Some of your favorite restaurants to go downtown. What do you like? Or even around. Do you, do you hit up some of the restaurants? Are there certain places you like I to get food I think a great new restaurant is in Bloom. Uh, LPC's great. Uh-huh. Il Cortile's always been a favorite of mine. Right. Yeah, there's a lot going on. It's really cool to see just the way, you know, the area has evolved. So. We, we got two more wines left. We have the Aspire, and then we're going to get into the, to the nines. Uh, when you were staking out the area, Don, and tasting some of the wines of the area, I'm sure that was part of your R&D. What were some... Some brands that really stood out to you? Um, I actually, well, you know, the, the, the well-worn names like uh, Saxum, uh, Lene Coloto was a, a fun place to visit, uh, Turley for some Zinfandels. Those were some great places. There are so many wineries that have actually been added since that point in time that i'm not leaving names out because you try I don't like keep, them but yeah no sure do you try and keep your finger on the pulse and and you know and see what's new and hey what are we gonna, yeah yeah you know another place that we hung out a lot would have been uh dinner and uh, 
that's because the first two years of making wine, we made our wine over at dinner before cool. this winery was finished. Yeah. It's interesting because you mentioned those wines, and these are all ones that your brand stands right up with them. Your brand stands right up there with the best. And you're not one of the oldest wineries here. Um, was this... It, obviously, it's a blessing. Obviously, you know, you are a man who's good at what you do. Your team is good at what they do. So no surprises in any of those aspects. But was this something that you set out to do? Like when we do this, I want to be talked about in all those same circles of the yes. best wineries in Paso. Yeah. I didn't want to do it if we were just going to be a forgotten yeah. property. So that was definitely one of our objectives. When you're attacking it that way, where does that start? Is it like equipment, whatever you want? Picking, I'll buy you anything. Again, more than that is getting the right people on board. Yeah. Get talent, and that will lead to success. It's pretty exciting. The Aspire, another 19. The 19s are just tasting incredible right here at Law. Uh, the Aspire, Dawn, is a Syrah-led, Syrah-Grenache blend. What do you like about this wine, Don? Um, I like well. Number one, I like the. We came out with this wine. Uh, oh gosh, first vintage was somewhere around sixteen, and it was meant to be the ying to the yang of beguiling, and th- that's what I like about it. Flips the Syrah and the Grenache. It's eighty this year. Eighty six Syrah, fourteen Grenache. How are we naming these? The first vintage that we had. We had four wines, and uh, we decided we were going to name them after positive personality traits. So we had audacious, and we had intrepid, fearless. Um, I like that. And then we had sagacious, which is wise. And then we had beguiling, which is uh, intriguing in a devilish way. So those were our first four. After that, it it got tougher to name the wines. (laughs) I don't have that many positive personality traits. <laughs> so we have a first tracks, which is an ode to the ethic of being the first on the mountain on a powder ski day. Mm-hmm. Um, Prima, which is named after a ski run at Vail. Sure, big ski dude. Ski dude, yes. That's cool. I just broke my foot this year. Nah. Actually. Snowboarding, skiing, what? Uh, skiing. People are still skiing, huh? <laughs> I felt like everyone got into snowboarding and stuff. I don't know. I, I, mean, I don't the, do either. I went through the snowboarding phase 20 years and 20, 30 years ago. Um, so you put up your skis to go to learn snowboarding and then got back into the skis? That's because the skis got shorter and wider. And the advantage of a snowboard was you could get into the, in on a powder day, you could get into the trees and make short, sharp turns. And skiers couldn't get there. But now... With ski technology, skiers can go anywhere snowboarders can. That's incredible. And I love how you said that. Because they, they back in the day, you would be like on a couple of toothpicks. You know, really long. There are these long, skinny things. And you have to... They're really hard to turn. Yeah, I can't even imagine. So they've, they've actually gotten shorter. They're almost a like, lot shorter and a lot wider. They're almost like two little mini snowboards. Floridy, yeah, way floatery. Floatery? Floatery. I know what <laughs> more, you mean, though. More float than... Where you can maneuver. You can like... Right. Yeah. What's, um, so where do you like to ski? Oh, anywhere that has great snow. Yeah. <laughs> and has some steeps. Yeah. So. And you, did you, I mean, did you grow up in Colorado? Yeah, I did. So you, you've been doing this since you were. Since you I was man. 19 years old. Really? <laughs> our That's family, awesome. Our, fam- our family had no money. Uh, There's no way I was ever going to go skiing. Yeah. And then in college, started going up with some buddies. 
That's kind of cool. So you came from a family that didn't have a lot of money, and then you found the business and the, and the, the industry you wanted to be in, and was it were able to really ch- turn things around for the next generation for you? Yeah, I was fortunate. I was a uh, first generation to go to college. In, really? In my family. So, What did mom and dad think? Um, oh, they were, they were, you know what? They were agnostic on it. Really? I'll put it that way. <laughs> they, I was going to say they were fine with it, but really it was like, well, do whatever you want. Did you, were you kind of looking for like, hey guys, like you're kind of a little more excited here. Like the first one to get into school for crying out loud. I mean, are, are they alive now? Yeah. They in fact live in the same house I grew up in. Really? That's gotta be cool to go back and visit mom and dad in the same house you were yeah. a boy at. Yeah. Wow. I remember, um, I grew up in Southern California, a city called Gore Hills. We drove by, I took my, um, fiance to drive by my old house. And I wanted to knock on the door and see if they would let me in. Because there's something about the house you grew up in, you know? And here I am knocking. They haven't changed. All the houses on the block have, like, changed. And they're all bougie doors with windows in them now and stained glass, whatever. And this door looks, it's the same door that I used to knock on when I got locked out or whatever, you know? So I'm knocking on the door. No one's home. And then I turn around and I see that water spigot. The same one that I would always drink out of. (laughs) And, like, I mean, I saw I'm like, how creepy am I going to look right now? If I go down and just like, so I look both ways around me twice. No one's around. No neighbors are looking at me. And I turn on that thing, let it sit for just a couple seconds. And I go down there. And when I was a kid, I'm, I don't have like minor OCD. I would take eight big gulps and then I just kill it, you know? Staying hydrated. Staying hydrated, right? <laughs> and I took eight big gulps just like I did when I was a kid. I swear to God, that water tasted the same. It smelled the same. It was cool. It was almost like emotionally moving to be at that house. And so I can't imagine what it's like to be able to go see your mom and dad at the house you grew up in inside and those four walls. It must be so neat. Yeah, you know, you definitely fire some old brain cells and memories and yeah. trigger memories you hadn't thought about for a while. When they look at your success, what does mom and dad say to, the, to this? They're... They're proud. Yeah. That's really neat. That's really cool. And do they drink wine? Oh, no. Really? <laughs> That's the other part of this story. So um, they're Southern Baptists. Okay. And um, they never I, they never even would think I would be drinking. <laughs> A period. And Much less. Never, ever in, in my life. And then so I uh, came out here to do the wine project, but really I couched it in the terms that I'm going to grow grapes. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Period. And then... How sweet. He's yeah. growing grapes. Yeah. He's a farmer. Don's a farmer. So <laughs> then, you know, I came to making wine. And, right. Um, they actually, when they were out here the first time uh, after we'd made wine, uh, my mom tried it. And she took one drink and I was like, ugh. <laughs> Thank you, Mom. I guess that, that piece of art's not going on the fridge yeah. at home. And my dad wouldn't even uh, taste any Was of it. Was he a little mad at you that you decided to make No, wine? no, no. They've, they've, they actually have bought some of our wine. Like really? One bottle to put on the mantle uh-huh. so people can see it. That's so cool. Your brothers and sisters? Yeah. And my sisters, uh, one of them uh, buys my wine, but she's also very religious. Mm-hmm. But I think she actually drinks it. And then my other sister, yeah, she just buys wine. To- yeah. To drink it. Yeah, right, yeah sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's really special about what you put together. I think it's really exciting. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, this wine called the Nines. Um, I swear to God, Levi, you've never seen a Corvin before or what? I have. I was looking at him. I, I was watching him hold this. I'm a, I, I didn't know what he was going to do. And I'm like, just hand it to me. Like, right? <laughs> no, I, um, yeah, I'm, I'm stuck in the vineyard. I don't know about no, any I of get this it. stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, also, like, you're probably not having to Corvin your own wines because no. you just... 
you open them. Right, exactly. Yeah. This is the kind of thing that says, don't let Adam Montiel drink this whole <laughs> bottle. Put a Coravin on it. No, I love it. You're, I mean, this is probably a very expensive bottle of wine. It's, I mean, it is just luxury in a bottle. I mean, this glass, it, yeah. the, the fruit jumps out at you. Mm-hmm. It is super smooth tannins. Talk about what is a library bottle. This so, is yeah, a 16. 2016, another First, possible. I would say, yeah. you know, it's Grenache, 100%. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Just take a look at the color. Yeah. Uh-huh. It looks like it could be a Syrah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah 2016, another s- superb vintage. Um, actually, the first vintage I was here. Um, and the nines is uh, a reference to two blocks, 9A and 9B, which are literally the highest point on our property and it's planted head train style so um kind of in an old world style at a fairly tight spacing so eight by three um over almost 2100 vines per acre um that training style um is, is not unique to this area but definitely not not the most typical um that you'd find grenache planted in and and it, it creates a lot of shade for the fruit fruit isn't overexposed the the grapes can get a little more darker color the resulting wines from a rocky site at the top of a hill that's windy and exposed and shallow soils with that training style ends up making this wine that's really what it is and then sometimes there's a few other blocks where we barrel choose you know this is nines quality so that might go into the nines but the, got it but usually like 80% of the nines is from those two blocks. Yeah. Don, this is your favorite wine? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Again, what's your favorite kid? But um, it was, gosh, what? I, I must have been in 2011 that Scott Hawley um, was tasting through fruit and, and then uh, the blocks, wines, and he said, we got to make a, we got to make a single varietal here. Uh, out of the nines the nines is just special and that was a, yeah. that was the very first of our black labels single varietals funny it was made. 2011 which is like we talked about that vintage we have on the show before too a vintage that you know by a lot of people got panned but when you look at some of the wines that came out of paso in 2011 beautiful here's one of them i mean look at he started a whole a whole skew over it but so yeah but that would definitely be uh one of my favorite wines oh, yeah about levi it's a beautiful wine, Levi. Yeah, um, the nines is always great, and I, it's it's just amazing to see this intense expression of Grenache. Like you can't do this everywhere. Like it is a true testament to the site that we can produce a wine of that quality, um, of that opulence, of that color from Grenache that is typically can be as light as Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not me doing it. It's the it's the site that, that's that's dictating that. And even though it's nine A and nine B, I think you know with the black label and you have this like you know upper echelon, upper level wine, and people probably associate it with like the nines, you know, being dressed too, or you know, just well, like that this was is not a coincidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah imp- sure. Impetus for the name. Yeah, yeah sure. that's awesome. Really cool stuff. Uh, LawStateWines dot com. Um, obviously, going to be a huge several weeks for you guys. I mean, the fact that you were able to like sit down with me and chose to give me some time right before the busiest time of oh, your year it means a lot that uh, I caught you you know, the day before sure. you start Harvest. So I, I appreciate you not only sharing your story with me, but these wines. And uh, I think it's a lot of fun. I hope people check out Law State Wines. I mean, obviously, this brand has just become one of the leaders in luxury wines. I think, Don, that's just got to you know, tickle you and Susie to, to see what the brand has become. 
Well, I I really appreciate your taking the time to come up here and, and to think that we're worthy of that. So thank you in yeah. return. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah. For sure where wine takes a gentleman. Thank you. So give me that moonshine, woogie bow. We pass on round till the job is camped out in the trees. It will simplify good company. Oh, thanks so much, Don Law. It was great to meet Susie Law after we recorded the show as well. Georgie even met their dog. Man, that Nines wine. Ooh, so good. Also, thanks to Levi Glenn, who's the vineyard manager. I know getting super busy right now. So to sit down with us at this time of year really means a lot. And thanks to other GM, Oliver Esperham, who really helped so much in setting this up. He's been there since the beginning. I've known Oliver a while. Really like the dude. Great guy. Make sure when you check out Law, Tell them, anyone on the team there, that you heard them on Where Wine Takes You. Well, it is officially Harvest 2022. Lots going on here. It's a great time to visit. And before you do, make sure you hit up PasoWine.com for the latest. Also, Harvest Wine Month is in October, and it is going to get insane fun here with even more to do, more to see, more to smell, more to experience. PasoWine.com. Make sure you are up with the latest. Also, follow Paso Wine on Insta at Paso Wine. You can follow me on Insta at Adam on the Air. Well, thank you for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the podcast. Just like the radio charts and ratings in the radio business, they're ever flowing. It's an evolving entity. But last week, last check, Where Wine Takes You was the number four wine podcast in the country. I can't even. Unbelievable. Thank you so, so much. We broke the top 10, broke the top five. Let's get top three. One more spot to move up. So thank you so, so much for sharing and telling a friend about Where Wine Takes You. Where Wine Takes You is executive produced by Joel Peterson and Paso Wine. Associate producer is Jen Bravo. The podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by yours truly. Original music on the pod performed by Moonshiner Collective. Check them out wherever you stream your music or online, moonshinercollective.com. Equipment transport and technical consideration provided by Fly With Wine. Next time you are cruising around on the Central Coast, you can hear me on your radio, my morning show, Up and Adam in the Morning. Got some other good wine chats on there with folks. Up and Adam can be heard weekdays, 6 to 10 Pacific time. We stream it online as well, crush925.com. That's crush with a K. We also got a free crush app for your smartphone and your podcast app. You can search for Up and Adam in the Morning if uh, you're not local. And if you are local, tune into your boy, duh, come on now. Thanks so much for connecting with us again. I am your host, Adam Montiel. Until next time, that glass, lift it up. To those working crazy hours to pick, sort, press, pump over, punch down for weeks on end so we can enjoy this world-class Paso wine and share and enjoy where wine takes you. And give me that sound, get by, we pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and good comp. Give me that sound, get by, we pass on down till the job is camped out in the trees, it will simplify and good comp. Give me that sound, get by, we pass on down till the job is out in the trees, we will simplify in good company. With that moonshine, we'll get by. We pass on round till the job is dry. Camped out in the trees, we will simplify in good company.